What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in on the Podcast for the Universe, another episode of the Energy is Love podcast. Remember, everything is at energyislovepodcast.com. You can find all the episodes, you can find all the links to our sponsors, you can find all the information about where you can download, listen, follow, subscribe. So that's the easiest place to find information for the podcast. If you haven't already, please share the show with somebody, tell them about the podcast so they can listen and tune in and learn and all that other kind of cool jazz. A couple of things we got to talk about first and foremost, this episode is brought to you by As Above, So Below, wonderful sponsor of the podcast. It's a really neat little metaphysical shop located up in Roy, Utah. So if you live locally in Utah, make sure you stop in and say hello. At As Above, So Below, you will find anything and everything that you could possibly imagine for your spiritual journey. One of the things that they do have there, I know for a fact, well, I know that they've got a lot of stuff there, but one of the things that they do have are pendulums. And coming up on March 24th, they're going to hold a pendulum workshop. So if you're interested in pendulums, what they are, how to use them, what they mean, how you can incorporate them into your daily life and your routine of connecting with whatever higher consciousness, spirit, being, belief, whatever it is that you believe in, come out to the workshop. It's going to be hosted by Lady Luna. She was on the podcast on a much earlier episode. So if you're interested, remember it's Friday, March 24th is the date for that workshop. If you go to our website and click on sponsors, you'll see a tab for As Above, So Below, which will take you to their Facebook page where you can like and follow and learn all about what they offer there, as well as all of the things that they have on Earth Day this year, Earth Day 2017, April 22nd. Make sure that you make a point to mark your calendars if you live here in Utah even if you don't live in Utah, fly in for this event. It's going to be amazing. It's Saturday, April 22nd. It's going to be the new Consciousness Expo. It's held at the Southtown Expo Center from, let's see, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's an all-day event. It's free admission. It's a wonderful event. It brings out a lot of healers and artists and activists, people that do uh, readings, anything in the realm of spirituality and the New Age community. You're going to be able to find it at this expo. It's a beautiful event. So make a point to visit. Mark your calendars. Like I said, April 22nd. It's a Saturday. So bring everybody. It's free admission. Open to the public. Anybody is welcome. Today's episode of the podcast, I got a chat with Stephanie Smith. So I found Stephanie. Uh, I was online Googling, looking for some people to chat with for the podcast, some new concepts and ideas to bring you, the listeners. And I came across a TEDx talk that Stephanie did. So she's an artist, a writer. Um, she facilitates workshops. She's a motivational speaker. She does a bunch of different things, but one of the things that she kind of specializes in is mandalas. So that's a topic that has come up on the podcast before, but now we got a chance to learn way more about mandalas and also hear about Stephanie's experience and how she, over the course of several years, created more than 10,000 mandalas. So she's very, very well-versed in not just what they are and how you can incorporate them into your life and into spirituality and how they're going to help you. But it was really interesting to learn about her experiences. And we do talk about mandalas during the show, but we got into some really, really great conversation and some deep, deep topics about life. Really interesting lady. I loved getting to chat with her and learn about her. Go check her out at her website. It's biffybeans.com. That's B-I-F-F-Y beans.com. Biffybeans.com is where you can find all the information about Stephanie. Even if you just jump on and start Googling, she's got a lot of information out there. You can go find her TED Talks, which we'll have listed in the show notes. Of course, she's on Facebook and Instagram and all those other wonderful places. But for now, push play, sit back, relax, turn it up, and enjoy this wonderful episode of the Podcast for the Universe with my guest, Stephanie Smith. Here we go. 
you're listening to the energy is love podcast energy is love the energy is the love podcast the energy is love podcast energy is love the energy is love podcast the podcast for the universe the energy is love podcast oh good morning stephanie how are you good morning craig i'm doing well thank you i should have asked you before we push record but do you go by steph or stephanie do you have a preference uh, whatever seems more comfortable for you is fine. <laughs> and then tell me where you're from. I was trying to remember, and I don't know if I came across it as I was kind of doing a little bit of research on you. I am in eastern Pennsylvania, and I'm roughly midway between New York City and Philadelphia. Have you lived there for quite some time? Uh, I've been here pretty much my whole life, yes. So then, yeah, I guess so, huh? <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Sure. I appreciate the, uh, the invitation. So what happened was I, uh, I came across your Ted talks and first off it was really, really good. So, I mean, really, really good kind of is a simplified way of, exp- you know, it was a really good talk. It, it was really informative, engaging, all those kind of different things that, you know, I get to hear and use a ton of adjectives to describe it, but I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you come on the show we have kind of touched on mandalas before in the past a little bit here and there with previous guests and things like that, but we've never really gone in depth to it. And so I thought about the idea and I thought that it would be a really good opportunity to kind of, you know, me personally learn more about them and then get your take on everything in regards to kind of spirituality and mandalas and your journey and things like that. Sounds good. So if you wouldn't mind, tell me a little bit about, first off, I always like learning how people come into the space of like spirituality, I guess, or the new age movement or whatever the case may be, however we want to call it is the type of thing. Go ahead. Oh, I I just was going to say like, it's, it's kind of been with me my whole life. In what way? As long as I can remember. Um, always, um, seeking self-awareness so I could just kind of understand the world around me so I could react differently so I could feel like I fit a little bit more, even though I think the more I dig, <laughs> the more I feel, the more I feel different. Um, but uh, I just think that as long, like literally as long as I can remember, you know, I think there's definitely some, some strong markers in time around the age of like 16 or so questioning what came before me and, and how I could possibly um, grow from that place. And what did you, because I think that, especially, I'll just use myself as an example, rather than trying to, you know, speak for people that I've had on the show or people that I've worked with, or whatever the case may be. But in my life and in my childhood and growing up and teen years and everything like that, um, I did, you know, kind of the same thing where I kind of had this underlying question out there, you know, the, I wanted to search. I, I was always asking questions about do you know what I mean? I would kind of question authority in a sense, but it wasn't, you know, in the kind of asshole teen- teenager kind of way. It was just more or less exactly. just kind of looking for, you know, this is what you're telling me, but explain to me why or how. Um, but I also think that a lot of times because of the way society works and because of the way that we're raised and all those kind of different things, that that, that part of us gets shut down a little bit. Would you agree? Oh, very, very much so. I did... um 
I did a piece of artwork a couple of years ago. I don't usually do a lot of conceptual art as in, you know, like art stemming from a particular idea. My art is more process based. So this conceptual piece, I called it formation of belief. And what it was about was the fact that <clears throat> we go through life like we have to trust other people uh, in, in knowing what's best for us. And that and they, they may not even be getting it right, but we still have to trust them because, you know, we're, we're children, we're adolescents. And so, you know, we get information from our parents and, and our other relatives and peers and our school teachers, um, you know, community churches, schools, like all these things, like we take all this information in, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's our truth. And so as we get older, we get to question those things, or I should say we begin to question those things. And as we become an adult, we get to choose whether or not, you know, I am in alignment with this. I am not in alignment with that. I don't know where this came from, but it, it takes, it takes noticing that something is off, you know, that, that something doesn't quite feel right to begin kind of like, okay, well, well, if something's not right, what is it? And where does it come from? And then the digging process begins. Can you think of something that you grew up with as kind of you were told was the truth or, you know, became your truth or something like that? Some big significant thing that you really at some point in your life had to question? Oh, uh, well, grew up in the 70s. So there was a lot of children should be seen and not heard, <laughs> you know, for sure. You know, uh, we weren't to question authority. That was another one. Um, again, growing up in the 70s, um, there was like this feeling of lack. You know, everybody was losing their jobs. Um, you know, I remember the gas line, like everybody waiting in line for gas. And so, you know, there's the, there was kind of like maybe this pervasive feeling of there isn't enough. There's never going to be enough. And so that moves you forward in, you know, in, in this kind of lack mentality of, of, um, of, you know, like not, it's like the opposite of abundance, of believing in abundance. And so, those are some of the strong things that I've, I've had to work on, you know, believing that you'll always feel like there'll always be some way of working through whatever it is that you're going through. There'll always be a way through. It may not always be the best way or the happiest way or whatever, but, you know, until you actually leave the planet, like nothing, nothing that happens is, it's like, there's just always going to be a way through it. You know, without, I'm trying not to like, you know, speak and minimize anyone's <laughs> particular experiences, but I mean, the reality is, unless you, unless you are, are, you know, um, leaving this existence, you know, unless you die, you know, you just keep moving forward in one way or another. So it's kind of that optimistic point of view on life, right? Regardless of whatever thing gets thrown at me or whatever situation I have to go through, there's always going to be, a, you know, I can get through it. There's always going to be a way. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's going to feel good. It's not going to mean that it's like, you know, all rainbows and sunshine, but just that, you know, like we don't, you know, for the most part, people don't, you know, like they don't stop living unless they choose to. You know, like they're still going to just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I think that the way that you move through these difficult times or these challenging times or these challenging beliefs is by questioning and by being, you know, like doing the things that you can to be aware, to be present, to to be present and not, you know, isolate or detach or, you know, become in some way shut down to what's going on around you. 
That's so hard, though. You know, I think back. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's why we meditate and and do yoga and draw mandalas. And, you know, we do all this stuff because we're just trying to claim we're trying to claim those few moments of of sanity, you know, And, and I and I truly believe like when I think about like, you know, some of the more active things I've done. Um, you know, in the pursuit of spiritual growth from, from drumming and chanting and mandala making and yoga and meditation, like all these different kinds of things, they've all really started to come within like the last nine years or so. And when I look back at who I was nine years ago, um, there's a difference, you know, like there's definitely a difference where I feel like there's a little bit more peace, you know, and, um, I follow some, some spiritual traditions where, you know, like they, you know, like you're, you're trying to get back to that whole self and, and they speak of like, is there a word that could maybe represent that whole self? And, and mine is definitely peace, you know, trying to, to find, you know, a, a wholeness, you know, wholeness to me equals peace. And it doesn't mean it like, I mean, it would be great if we could have that all the time, but that's just, it doesn't seem like when we're in human form that that's potentially possible, whether it's a pebble in the shoe or, you know, um, you know, something much bigger in, in the world around us, there's always going to be something that's going to, going to test our patience. And so, but you know, like when you bring in tools to be able to kind of live with those things in a different way, I don't want to say tolerate, I don't want to say ignore, but when you, when you find a different way to kind of live in, in, in the world, then you get a little bit closer to that piece. Was there something like, what was one of the first kind of concepts or ideas or you, you know you referenced like nine years ago when you kind of mm-hmm. what was one of the first things that you kind of started to look into or absorb or take off in well i started drumming and and i mean hand drumming you know like african rhythms and trance rhythms and things that were more um you know f- for um, meditative purposes rather than, I mean, I, I always, I've always been a drummer. I had, I played drum kit for a while, but that wasn't really my thing. But to, to be able to sit and kind of just like shut the brain down with these, with these, um, with these rhythms was, was a really, really powerful thing for me. And my teacher at the time who, who later became a, a really great strong mentor for me, was using the drum as a tool, as a way to, to get you to be present. You know, like he was, he was, he was using the tool as, as a way to ground us and as a way to begin, to begin reflecting on, on all the different areas of our lives. And, you know, like when you have time to be able to do that, that's when you can start, you know, letting go of the things that no longer serve you. You know, like that's, that's the thing, you know, like I, I like to, I like to think of stories and metaphors and, you know, I used to have this, this pair of shoes in my closet. It was, I think they were from high school, you know, like I am (laughs) a long way out of high school, but I had these purple leather mini Tonka moccasins that just were my favorite shoes in the whole world. And there was no way I could wear them anymore. They were so, they were like hardened, you know, like they were just you know, the, the plastics or the rubber soles were just like so old and they were, you know, they just were so uncomfortable on the feet, but I couldn't let them go because they were like these awesome shoes that like, you know, they, they just meant so much to me. They were like touching the past, but it's like, you know, like why hold on to something like that? Like why hold on to something you can no longer use that hurts your feet even. 
and it's like that's that's kind of like you know like life like what things do we hold on to that that are just no longer serving us and so this person this mentor he had um always wanted to to achieve a particular goal and once he achieved it you know like he stayed there for a while and then he let go of it because it was no longer serving his highest good and not many people will do that like they'll choose something and they'll stay there forever because they feel a sense of obligation and and I think we walk around with lots of that you know obligations to our beliefs or to our family or to our our religion or whatever and 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 we're not happy you know, because we're holding things that, you know, we've maybe grown beyond. Yeah. I mean, it's super common. I think that, you know, I, when you think about, cause the way you described those shoes, it made me laugh. Cause I had the, I, you know, I have a pair of tennis shoes that I wore back in, back in the day when I was in high school and I still have them kicking around somewhere. See? <laughs> <laughs> yep. And they were like my favorite shoes at the time. And now there's holes in the soles and there's no way mm-hmm. I could even wear them anymore. But we do hold on to so many different things and, you know, I don't know why. I think that at times it serves a purpose and a reason. I have no idea why I still have those shoes somewhere in a box. But um, it makes me think the importance of, like you described, that mentor, right? The ability to achieve something, hold on to it for a short, brief time, but then also recognize when it's time to let it go and to move on. Because I think when we do hold on to stuff like that, whether it's an achievement in life or a goal that we've set or even, you know, material things like a pair of shoes, we we don't have, we, we're not freeing up enough space for new stuff to come in, new ideas, exactly. new concepts, new energy to kind of flow in and create, you know, the next phase of life that we need to move towards and move into. So tell me about mandalas. Okay. <laughs> so this is a great transition because the drumming kind of led towards that. So I've always been creative in one form or another and before I was drumming, I was making jewelry, and um, there was a lot of repetition in that. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Just like I, I loved creating things with patterns. I loved, I loved playing with the colors, and you know, I made necklaces which are circular, round. You know, like they go around the neck, and there'd be patterns to the beads, or or however I would create them. And it was it was very joyful. And um, there came to a time there came a time where that just um, it, it transitioned and I started to play the drums and I started working with this mentor and he was, um, I should probably explain this because he was, he was very He was and still is a very significant person in my life. His name is Jim Donovan and he was the founding drummer from the band Rusted Root. So he, um, is literally a person who from his childhood wanted to be a rock star made that happen, sold a couple million records, decided it was no longer what he wanted, 15 years later left the band. And he began teaching <clears throat> he began teaching classes at a local university and he began teaching workshops and retreats and so on and so on. And I met him um I think it was around 2005 when I was first beginning to drum. He came to my area and offered a workshop called the Yoga of Drum and Chant. And what he did was he he used simple drumming rhythms along with um, very simple mantras. And, and the mantras were – they were really just like seed syllables, nothing devotional, just moving moving energy with sound. And I was hooked. I was like instantly hooked. Like here was something that was just like this giant, this giant awakening for me. And 
I saw him, even though we were exactly the same age, I saw him as very worldly and I, I just wish that I could learn more and the universe made that happen. You know, we, we worked together for, for several years, um, in a lot of different capacities. I worked with him, um, I worked with him. I, I helped him. I, I would like host him at local events and helped him with marketing and PR. And, and I, I did some, some writing projects with him as well. And to segue over to the mandala and, and I want to ask I'll you real back. quick. I'm sure. sorry. I don't mean to interrupt you. So you talk about, he had a, a workshop that you went to when you initially, you know, came across him or whatever in yoga mm-hmm. drumming and drumming with, uh, mantras. What mm-hmm. about, that resonated with you so much? Because I think so many times people who are outside of kind of like the community of spirituality or whatever the case may be, and they start to learn about some of these concepts and ideas, they have a hard time connecting with some of it because it seems oh, great so question. Kind of, out there. Yeah, yeah, out there and esoteric <laughs> yeah. and, you know, it doesn't really make yeah. sense. So yeah, what I was a- working a job at the time. I would try and tell people about it and they, you know, like I just would get like, you know, yeah, they just funny looked, looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... Um, it just let everything shut down. So, you know, since that time, you know, fast forward like a million years and I've gone through yoga teacher training and and learned about like the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, you know, like we walk around with our bodies, you know, like we're on like all the time, you know, like we're on like high alert with all the different kind of distractions in life. So we're walking around in fight or flight all the time and we don't have enough opportunities to bring up that like rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system where we really get to relax. And so I didn't have these words when I started drumming, but that's what it was doing is it was allowing me to finally kind of like have this peace and calm within my body. Like it just let me be very, very present. It shut down the chatter, the monkey mind in ways that were just, it had never been like that for me before, like ever. And so it was, it was pretty monumental and it's like like all the things that I do that are process based it didn't matter whether you could hold a rhythm it didn't matter what the sound of your voice was there were like we weren't praying to anything we weren't worshiping anything we just were sitting there and we were moving sound and it is a powerful experience if you've ever gone to a concert or seen live music and stood near the speakers you know, and felt what music feels like in your body. It's like that, but it just, it lets you kind of just shut everything down um, and just be really, really like present in a way that I just, I, I can't, I can't describe it any other way. No, it makes sense. And I, you know, I think about music is just in general, how um, regardless of whether it's, you know, some spiritual chant or drumming or whatever the case may be, just music in general does that for people, I think, a lot of times. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there are all kinds of studies, you know, like, like, as long as you're listening to something that resonates with me, resonates with you in the moment, doesn't matter whether it's heavy metal or classical music, that it actually helps you to, to be more calm. Yeah. You know, and, um, so, um, back, back to the whole mandala thing. So I'm doing all this drumming and, and doing all these different events and working with my friend Jim. And I was always a really avid doodler. Like whenever I would talk on the phone or something, you know, there'd be a pad and I'd be, I'd be doodling cause I used to work in an office and I'd be sitting there, you know, doodling. And I, I used to, um, 
a long time ago, like when the when the website, the photo sharing website Flickr kind of first came on my radar, people would share art and there'd be these different groups where you could you could share images of your art and people would comment and whatever. And I found I found a photograph um, of a piece of artwork and it was circular and it, it was kind of made up of of patterns that radiated from the center out. And there was a description and the person who created it, he said that it was a mandala. And, and by the way, for, for, you know, just for, for reference, some people say mandala. I never knew it pronounced any other way than mandala. And so there (laughs) could be some people who are like, no, she's saying it wrong. Yeah. Um, but so mandala or mandala. So he said it was a, it was a mandala and that it was a, a meditative practice. This is how he described it. It was a meditative practice that was typically done in one sitting that you started at the center, worked your way out and stopped when you were finished that those, I'm pretty sure that was like his exact description. And I was like, Whoa, you know, like I so want to do that. <laughs> like it's, it's an organized doodle. So, uh, I remember the first one I made, I had, um, I had this pack of like 12 colored markers and I put them into a bag that I couldn't see. And I would pull one marker out at a time and just kind of like create patterns around the center and just kept, you know, like pulling another color out, pulling another color out and letting there be some kind of like, you know, um, like a ceremony or like a ritual of I'm making this thing. And it just was like, I want to make more like most people who make mandala art. I want to make more because it does the same thing as the drumming, except it's art. You know, like instead of making sound, you're making marks. And, um, you know, from that point, then for the next 10 years, I've, I've literally made thousands and thousands and thousands of them because it was, again, it was a way for me to kind of, you know, it was a meditative practice, practice that allowed me to be very present. And circling back to my friend Jim, he, he knew that in my last job that I was a trainer, that I trained people. And he suggested that I begin teaching that process to other people, the mandala making process to other people. And I had never taught anything that wasn't, you know, like someone else's material. And uh, I was very hesitant. And then I challenged him because he just kept pushing and not pushing, but he was like, you know, you should really think about this, really think about this. And I said, um, fine, you know, give me a teaching spot at one of your upcoming retreats, knowing that he had a full schedule and a full staff and that it was never going to happen. And I couldn't even get it out of my mouth before he was like, done. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> now I've got to bring it, you know. So I began for the next eight months to really study, to really study about the mandala and um, in all its different and all its different forms, like how it's used, what it means. And and that was in 2008. And I still teach that workshop. And so I, I, I have made a lot of mandala art and I have studied and I still only consider myself to really, to really know just a little bit about its process because it's, there's lots of different ways to make them, lots of different meaning behind them. Um, but I, it's been just such a huge part of my life and that I've really enjoyed sharing with other people because I, I speak of process-based art and, and that to me means art without an end goal in mind. You know, to be able to just sit and, and work on something without thinking that it has to look any specific way. I think that's so important because we walk around life with, with so many expectations placed upon us. And whenever you have an opportunity to like do something that makes you feel good, 
then that's a great thing. You know, when you do something where you're constantly like, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? It takes you out of that, that kind of, um, Zen like, trance like, you know, thing that happens, you know, that allows the body to again kind of like rest and relax that, that we so need. So prior to this time period where you kind of go off on that journey of, you know, not just creating them, but learning about them and everything like that, would you consider yourself artistic, you know, prior to that? Did you ever paint or, well, you know, do things? I, I was always, I think I was always really creative, but I was never necessarily, and I don't, I'm not claiming I'm good at anything now, but I think there was nothing that, there wasn't really anything that I ever like really kind of specifically gravitated towards. And I'm kind of even that same way now. Because even though I've done a lot of mandala art, um, I, I play with all different kinds of things all the time. You know, just something like I need to be doing something. Um, and there'll be there'll be blocks of time where you know I'm writing or I'm I'm making music or I am painting or you know like there's just always something. And I think I've always been that way, but it's definitely been ramped up uh, over the last like ten years. For sure. So I think that a lot of people when it comes to art and whether it's in the form of a mandala or, um, do you know what I mean? They're going to create something or they're going to go to like one of those, uh, uh, paint nights or something like that. Right. When it comes to art, I think people either think they have that ability, like they have the art artist gene or they don't. And so it mm-hmm. keeps them away from really mm-hmm. kind of exploring it and, you know, getting into that space where they're going to create something artistic in a sense, or with their hands, with paint, with markers, with, you know, pencils, whatever the case may be, because, you know, they just were never blessed with that artist gene. And I think that, I mean, it's a good parallel for life in general, where, you know, you don't have to have uh, that specific <laughs> speciality to mean that you can't still step into that space and, you know, benefit from it. So oh, very, very much so. When you teach classes and when you host these things, do you find that, you know, wh- how do you help people over that hump? Like, how do you ho- help people in that space of realizing oh. that they, do you know what I mean? Once they just kind of get down to doing it, they can get into that space and they can create something incredibly beautiful and meaningful and then have it resonate and connect with them on a deeper level. Well, um, I try and meet them where they are. I try and, I try and be my, I, I try and be my authentic self in, in my creations. And it's funny because you mentioned the word beautiful because whenever I, so there's, there's like kind of two scenarios when people come to me. There'll be people who come to me because they, they, they want what I have, you know, like they want me to teach them what I do. And then there are other times where I'm, I'm offered an opportunity to teach to a group who may not know me at all, may feel very not confident in who they are and what they do. So some people, like, they're, they're kind of coming from different places. And I think that, you know, something that's really important to me is that people, people understand that we already are creative, like, in a lot of different ways, like, from the way you stack your sandwich to the way you, you know, the way you choose a route to the, you know, to driving to work or the clothes that you wear, like, you're creative, like, a million times every day. Art, you know, art is basically a series of choices uh, mixed in with muscle memory and, and learning to see. And the thing that a lot of people don't know is that art truly is a learned skill, so five years ago, I, I got a, I, I, 
I became um, affiliated with this community of artists. I have a studio in an, uh, in a local art center, and we have like 30, 30 artists of varying different points in their career in this facility. And I'm all self-taught, so being able to be around all these different people, I've, I've learned so much. And you learn that, you know, and I, I feel there's like this duality inside me. Part of it is, you know, I want to just make art. And I mean, I just want to do things like I want to just I just want to express myself and I don't care what it looks like. And then the other part is I do want to I do want to have a mind for quality. I do want to think about color theory. I do want to shape think about like shape and composition and form and all those things. So it's it's sometimes really complicated in my head. But so anyway, when you're working with people, you know, I, I tell this story that, you know, when we're children, we're able to be really creative um, kind of in, in an uncensored way. Like we just, we create, we're kids, we create fearlessly. And then what begins to happen in, in, in the, the, the development of a child in art is that they want to start, rep- they want to start to, to be representational in their art. They want to reproduce what their eyes can see. Unless they have instruction on that, it doesn't happen. And a lot of times they'll become this frustration They'll abandon art for any of like a million other things that are, are in their lives at that time. It could be sports. It could be, you know, like what, you know, anything. It's just that art, you know, like it's not that it got too hard. It's just that they didn't have an opportunity to continue learning. So then what happens is fast forward, you know, to like someone who's like, you know, in their, in their forties their fifties or whatever. I'm not an artist. I can't make art. I'm not an artist. They try and draw something and it looks like a child made it. And that's because that's where their, that's where their instruction ended. And so they really can continue on if they pick up where they left off. If that's important to them, if they want to learn to be representational, if they want to create in a particular style, whether it's, you know, um, a landscape or a portrait or whatever it is they want to do. They just need to pick it up and, and continue moving forward. People don't have a lot of time though. Like they don't have a lot of time to dedicate towards, towards these practices. And they, they think like they're never going to get to the level of where they want themselves to be. You know, like they want it to be a little bit more, you know, like they want the process to be faster. So you know, you have that and then you have other people who could just really benefit from being creative and, and not judging the quality of their efforts. Those are the people, I mean, like I want everybody, like whoever wants to come, you know, comes, but I, I am especially, you know, I especially enjoy when there are people who feel like they've been shut down to the process and they just want to be creative. They don't, they don't care about what it looks like, but they need encouragement in, um, in not being so judgmental over the quality of their actions. That's what I'm there for is to just remind them that it doesn't have to be beautiful. Although they often find at the end of the class, they have done something that's really pleasing to them. But I don't know. I don't ever want to make those promises like we're going to make this beautiful thing. No, you're going to come and we're going to do this thing. And hopefully you enjoy the process. You know, hopefully you enjoy the journey. The destination is totally unimportant. Just come. You know, it's fun to like push paint around on a page or to, you know, like get your hands dirty or to, you know, to draw or what it's fun to do those things. But, you know, we always think about like, well, what's the end result? What's the end result? You know, like we want to take this thing away from us, from a class, this thing we created so we can look at it as a marker in time. 
you know, people want that. Like, you know, those paint and sips, like you'll go and you'll, you'll paint, you know, a landscape and you have it to take it home and put it on the wall. I, I, I think that's a great process for some people. I think that I want to keep things more open-ended, you know, where people don't have to, they don't have to, they don't have to feel so intimidated, um, by the process that, that they can, they can continue on and it doesn't need to stop with just one event like that, but that they can just keep going and going. And, and I mean, there's just so much we need to process every day and people don't, you know, often journal or they don't often make art or they don't express themselves in ways that they can, they can process all the stuff that's going on in their lives. And just, you know, I, I want to empower people to believe that, that, whatever they have to the bring whatever they have to bring to the table is enough with regards to their creativity and um i found because like i said i'm a self-taught artist and so i you know i mean i can probably you know i'm a little further along now if i wanted to do something representational than i ever was before but whatever what always really kind of got me was just this process of mark making just drawing mandalas simple shapes little lines just kind of just moving around that center and moving out from that center was, was, was just so powerful to me, you know? And it's like, you know, in, in it's really easy. Like when you, when something feels really good to you, you want to stand on top of a mountain and you want to shout it to everybody, you know, this is cool. This is easy. This is accessible. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Just come, you know, like, you know, grab a pencil and let's, Let's try this thing because it's, it's gonna, it's gonna change things in you. People are, you know, like they're coloring in these mandala coloring books and their lives are changing. They're not even drawing mandalas. They're just, they're coloring and they're finding this, this peace and this calm. And it's like, yes, you know, like that's, that's what this is all about. You know, so tell me <clears throat> in this week, cause you've done thousands and thousands, right? It's something that you've kind of totally absorbed yourself into over the past several years. How have you seen yourself change or what has been the, you know, the progression in your own space? Like the, you know, if this is the cause, what's the effect of it? How has it um, enhanced your life and changed you in such a way? Well, I definitely think I, I have more peace. I think that I can be more thoughtful with my reactions. I think that it's allowed me to be more present where I can, I can understand myself in the world around me, which means I can be more compassionate, like I can have more empathy. And, you know, when, when you study the mandala, because, you know, there are, like I said, there are different traditions, you know, and, and many people know of like the, the Tibetan Buddhist monks doing the sand mandalas. And that's not really the way that I came to it. Um, I, I found Carl Jung, the, the psychoanalyst, who use them as a way to look within. And I think like you can't, you can't touch upon Jung's work without like discovering the shadow and, and looking at, at yourself and self reflecting. You know, I mean, when I was doing some of the, whoops, when I was doing some of those first mandalas, I was, um, I would listen to music while I was doing them and I would get into the rhythm. Like the marks would go down on the page with the rhythm. Or I would also run mantras in my head as I was creating them. So like every syllable of a mantra was like another mark on the page. It's like anything you can do to be present. I mean, like it's, it's meditation. It's a meditative practice. And so I introduced 
a meditative practice to my life that where there had never been one. And so I just think, I don't know, like, uh, definitely calmer, um, <laughs> unless you talk to my husband. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just, I just feel like I, I walk a little differently in the world. Changed um, your outlook on life. Yeah, very, very much so, you know, just allowing yourself to have like, a. A, f- a focal point because that's what it was, was just moving around that center, growing out from that center, which is like a metaphor for life. And I think that's the way Jung saw it too. You know, that like the center represented us and then moving away from the center was, was our, you know, like our exponential growth. Do you ever um, get into that space when you're creating one or, you know, when maybe you've been working on it for a while, do you ever get into that space where you kind of feel like maybe, um, it's kind of deep hippie spiritual shit, like maybe where it's uh, really intuitively designed or guided, almost like where, do you know what I mean? You're, it's not necessarily you creating it. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say that's definitely, that's definitely happened, but it's not the norm. Um, and I don't know why. I think it could be because that's, it's scary. You know, like I, I definitely, I definitely believe, I believe in that in, well, okay. I think everything I do is intuitive, you know, like, and I mean intuitive as in, you know, like I'm going to move towards this because it seems like the right thing to do. I don't mean that someone's guiding my hand, although they are, you know, I, I believe they are, but it's, it's not an active it's not an act of thinking like that. It's not like I'm going to sit down and I'm going to channel and I'm going to let this speak through me. Those just aren't like, those aren't my words. Like that's, that's not the way I really think about things. But I do believe there have been some times where I've gotten really trancy, um, in a creative process <laughs> and I've, and I've, yeah, like, I like, happen. <laughs> I like that well, word trancy. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's, that's really what happens. Yeah. You know, there are people, there are people who, um, so, um, a couple years ago, I was really, I was really questioning the value of the work that I did. Like I was feeling very, very down on myself and thinking that, that there was no real, like, why was I doing all this? Like it wasn't, I just, I was in a bad place and I was trying to find my way out. And <clears throat> a million years ago, I went to New York City to an art exhibit at the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, which no longer exists in New York City, because I wanted to see the artwork of, of Alex Gray. I wanted to see his Sacred Mirrors. He's like this very prominent contemporary visionary artist. And by visionary, I mean connecting to something bigger. And I remember going, I don't remember what year it was, um, probably around 2005-ish or whatever, but I remember going and seeing his art and it just blew my mind to the point where I was like, I have no idea what I just saw and I shut it down and packed it away forever. I was like, it just, it just was too much, you know? And so a couple years ago, I'm at this place where I'm feeling very uncertain, uncomfortable, just ready to kind of pack everything in. And I came across this book and the book was called the mission of art. 
by Alex Gray. And I didn't want to read it at first because I was like, that's that guy whose art was like so, you know, like crazy that it just, you know, blew my mind or whatever. And and I thought I would give it a chance. And it was it was a turning point. Like it was a huge turning point for me because he spoke to he spoke to our, you know, like the creative process, you know, as as being this thing that gets us closer to, you know, what's bigger than us. And I would eventually go and I spent a week with him at the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors is now in Wappingers Falls. Like they moved it out of New York City up to up uh, up in the lower Hudson Valley or whatever. And I spent a week with 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 uh, Alex and and his wife, Allison. And it was a visionary painting intensive. And to just be in that environment where where people are creating things based on uh, things they've experienced from different trance like states so alex you know if you know anything about him is a is um like they use a lot of hallucinogens which is something i've never done but they use a lot of hallucinogens to to see you know to to raise consciousness yeah to get in another place and um one of the things that I wanted to talk to him about when I went there, I was like, Alex, so like when I draw these mandalas or I meditate or I chant or whatever, like sometimes like there's this mind expansion that happens and, and I will, you know, experience images in, in a way that just doesn't come from walking through the world. And, and he explained why that happens. You know, like he explained, you know, different levels of, of chemicals in our body and the way that, you know, when we do those things that allow us to be very present, that we, um, that it, it, it raises these levels where we can experience life more fully, like, you know, our, our consciousness is raised. And I thought that was really fascinating that you can do these things without any kind of outside substance, you know, like any kind of and so there, there have been occasionally, and I think maybe it's some of the conceptual work I've done that, that have, you know, like I've received, oh, I hate that word. It's not like I'm, you know, receiving <laughs> images from beyond. That's just, that's not me, but you know, like there'll just be an inspiration that comes, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's an inspiration that comes and you act on it or you don't act on it or whatever. So, um, it's, it's just not my language to, to suggest that, that I am, you know, allowing things to come from something bigger, even though that is my overarching belief. Well, I totally agree with you because I, I mean, I know what you're saying. Like, I think that sometimes we get into spaces, whether it's, you know, through meditation or um, I mean, sometimes it's in a dream state, right? You go to these mm-hmm. places where something, it just feels so much different than mm-hmm. the reality that we kind of move in day in and day out. And even even kind of in the space of the, like if we have a regular meditation practice and we go into that space and we know what it feels like and it's familiar, but it's kind of the regular meditative place that we go, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's something else. There's some other different place that feels so much different that we don't really spend a whole bunch of time in, but yet mm-hmm. at the same time you you get there every so often. And you in touch that, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's just crazy shit there that Mm -hmm. feels different, looks different in those images and those feelings and everything like that. And so do you think that, because that, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about if you're going to create that many mandalas, if you're going to go through that process over several Mm -hmm. years, that has got to do some massive, massively good stuff to your spirit, to your mind, to your energy. I believe so. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'd like to believe so. I, I think it has. I mean, if at the very, very, very least, it's made me a better artist because it's muscle memory. You know, it's it's the confidence of, of putting a line down on paper or a stroke with a brush. If nothing else, if nothing else, you know, you do anything 10,000 times and you're going to get better at it. And, um, you know, one thing that I noticed, which um, which has been a, a point of frustration with me is like when I would drum – um, I would get to that place. Like I would touch that place and it was momentary, you know, like it was, it would go for a little while and then it would be gone. And then there's like, I got to get back there, you know, like I got to do it again. Cause I want to touch that again. And it, it, it kind of isn't as easy. It's not as easy to get back there. And that's really interesting. You know, it's like you have to work, like you have to keep working harder in some ways, even if working harder means just letting go more, you know, whatever it is, it's just like a conscious, like I, I need to approach this. It's almost like there becomes this expectation, you know, that there's this, this concept of enlightenment. And I think that, you know, if you, if you do some digging, you understand that enlightenment in, in human form does not mean that you're walking around blissful all the time you know enlightenment in in this form i believe is a place we get to every now and again that reminds us to keep going you know to keep going but i just i feel like in my own practices that it's like you kind of plateau and then it's like you have to find another thing and and or you get to that place where you see all like you know you see something different, you know, like you experience a different feeling and as awesome as it feels, it's scary because it, it kind of represents potential and it represents, um, it represents a lot of different things. Like a bunch of years ago, I did a fire walk and I had always really wanted to do it. Like I always wanted to do the whole like walking on hot coals thing and I was terrified I wasn't, and, and everybody's like, you know, they were thinking that I was scared I was going to burn my feet or whatever, but that wasn't the case. What I was really scared of was I knew that once I did this, I wouldn't be the same person anymore, that I was raising the bar. And, and that's a scary thing because, you know, people will fall out of your life, you know, because you, you're now in a different place. Like, you know, relationships change, maybe, you know, like all these different things in your life change. It's like, like I said, when my friend Jim invited me to teach a workshop, it's like I had to bring it, you know, it's like every time you do something for the sake of transformation, there, there becomes this, you know, like it just keeps raising the bar higher and higher. And it's like, now what? That's a huge amount of realization though, right? Cause a lot of people you know, just using the example of like the firewalk, they might look at it and just think that they have the, you know, they're afraid and that they're scared, um, just over the simple physical act of it. But mm -hmm. that realization that it's going to change you, you're going to be a different person after the fact and the repercussion of that and the fear of kind of the unknown, right? That's huge it's, realization on your part. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and you know, I think sometimes if people knew it, they wouldn't do it. You know, and you, you, you spoke, you know, you mentioned that you, you came to me through the TED talk, through the TEDx talk. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is, is I approached that whole opportunity very different than I've ever approached anything else before. 
because I'm like all about manifestation and creative visualization and seeing yourself on the other side. Because that was one of the things they taught us at the firewalk was if you want to walk over these hot coals, the first thing you do is you envision yourself on the other side. That's how you're able to to move forward. So that became like this huge, you know, huge aspect in my life. It's like, you know, you want to you want a new job. OK, so envision every aspect of this new job, like what you're going to wear and what you're going to pack for your lunch and how you're going to drive there and like all these things. And then you get a job, you know, and and, you know, I think that process is, is a very powerful one to help people get them in the mind of of being open and receiving to things that could happen. But, you know, the TED process was was really the TEDx process was really strange for me because it was something I wanted to do. I put it on a manifestation list five years ago. I was like, I have my own TED video because I had seen one by Anthony Robbins, who I love. And I was, I was really inspired. I was like, I want to do this process. Like, this is really cool. Like sharing a single idea in front of a bunch of people is, is powerful. Like I want to do that. And then I completely forgot about it. You know, and then it came on my radar two years ago at the exact same time I was about to start yoga teacher training and it was a summer intensive training. And I was like, hmm, can I do both these things at the same time? And I was like, I think that would probably be crazy, which it would have been. So I said, I will just I'll get it next year. You know, so last year <clears throat> um, I came, I, you know, like I found that TEDx Lehigh River was looking for participants and I submitted Basically, on the very last day that I could submit, and I received a call a couple of days later or an email that that invited me to to come um, as one of the the final candidates, or I forget what they called it. Um, and I did not, I did not time travel through that entire process. I never said, "Okay, well, when I'm on the stage, I will think this." Or when I'm done, I will think that so I could get myself to the other side. I allowed myself to be very present to the entire practice. You know, if I was if I was scared, I was scared. I didn't say, okay, well, you know, you feel this way now, but if you see yourself on the other side, I just didn't do that for that process. And you know what? Once that process was over, um, it it was really powerful and i've never done anything of that magnitude and i kind of i kind of came out of it like now what do i do you know like what what do i do now and i think that you know if people really thought about the potential of the bar raising and the potential for growth people just like they'd never do stuff you know <laughs> like they they just they would never do stuff like i if i had to think about what I would be, if I would have known how I would be feeling after that process, I don't know that I would have done it because I've been feeling very lost and very detached. And I mean, I know because of all the different things I've done in life that this is just a transitional phase into whatever's supposed to come next. But that doesn't mean it feels great while you're in it. Yeah. Um, so did you have awareness? Yeah. Cause you just described like doing something completely different than you normally would. Like normally you would visualize and see yourself mm -hmm. in the whole process of this and this and see yourself on the other side. But for the, for the Ted thing, you just went through it step by step and really stayed in the space of wherever you were at. Did mm -hmm. you do that consciously or was that just kind of happening or? I think it was kind of a combination. Um, it, it, it just was so strange. It was just like, this is just the way this is going to be. Like I didn't, question it i didn't poke at it or prod it you know like when we were going through um 
you know, there were eight of us chosen initially and we didn't, we never knew if we were actually going to be speaking. Like we didn't know for a really long time until, you know, like where they were actually like, yes, you're going to be speaking, you know, because there's this, you know, there's so much work that goes into it. I can't even begin to tell you how much work goes into it because it's a single idea. And to, to speak to that, like you, you can't have tangents, you know, like you have to be very (laughs) specific with, with, with your talk. And to get to that place, you know, with the writing and the rewriting and the writing and the rewriting and to the really knowing of the material so you can get on the stage is challenging and it may not be for everyone. And so they, they bring a series of people on board and see how they go through that process. And, you know, the not knowing, like when I was in the space of not knowing whether I was going to be speaking, I just consciously stayed in this place of, you know what, I don't know if I'm going to be speaking and I'm not going to stand here and I'm not going to pretend to see myself on the carpet, you know, like on the red rug, because it just seems like that would take me away from this moment. And that moment of, of angst, of frustration, of whatever, somehow felt really important. You know, like, I don't know, it it just was really different in, in how I typically do things. And like I still really believe in the in the power of of creative visualization. Like I really truly do. But I think it. I don't know. Like has it changed how you kind of move through life now and how you approach things now? It. it you know, I still think it's too close. Like it's only been like six months or so, and I feel like it's been too close. But I feel to a certain degree, I'm. You know, there are some people who will be like you know, I'm taking a vacation in three weeks. I can't wait. And then it's like, Oh, it's, it's 20 days. I'm taking my vacation. Oh, it's, it's 15 days. And it's like, they're time traveling. They're not allowing themselves to be in the moment. They're looking ahead to something. And I feel like I'm starting to feel like in some small way that some aspects of creative visualization might have you time traveling. Like I'm still kind of working on that. Well, it, because you bring up so many different things as you're sitting here describing it, right? I'm thinking about, because the way you describe that whole process of really, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to be one of the people that are it's chosen. So I have to separate myself from that process because I just don't know. So I'm going to stay in the moment. Like that's huge. That's, you know, when you talk to about mindfulness and being present and living just right now, because the reality is that that dynamic of you not knowing whether or not you're going to get the opportunity to go on stage. So you're not going to invest time and energy in visualizing that because it may or may not happen. That's, I think you can expand that outwards in regards to life, right? The fact is we don't know what's going to happen. So if we can stay in the space of just being present in the moment, because the reality is I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I've got a big list of things that I have to do tomorrow. I've got a plan for tomorrow. I don't really know if tomorrow's going to come. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Or an opportunity or whatever. I've, I've got something else going on in my life right now where it's like, okay, well, I've, I've invested my part into it and I just don't really know what's going to happen. And I can't, I don't know. Like I'm actually questioning, like I, all right. So something happened during the, the TEDx process that had never happened to me before in my life. And that was, I, I am to say that I'm an overachiever would be an understatement to say that I'm a perfectionist would be an understatement. I'm just never enough. Like 
I, I walk around all the time telling people you are enough, you are enough, you are enough. And I struggle with it myself. You know, like I'm yeah. always striving, always trying to achieve. So when I did the TED process and I allowed myself, sorry, the TEDx process, there's a difference. And I just, <laughs> I just want to be specific that I was, I was not on the, the, the actual TED stage, but a local independent TEDx event. And, um, what was really different for me in this process is that, you know, I always think I'm never enough. There's always something else I could have done. You know, like what could I have done differently? What could I have done differently? And let me tell you, I wrote something like 41 versions of that talk. I practiced it. My husband was so sick of hearing it. My neighbors probably were too. <laughs> um, I wrote it out by hand when I was trying to, like, you don't actually memorize it, but you need to know it, you know, yeah. like you need to really internalize it. So I wrote it out by hand several times. I spoke into a recorder. I did everything that you do to like know a talk. And we had the Thursday rehearsal and I went on stage and I dropped it like four times. It was excruciating. Like I just lost it. The words just were gone. And I stood there and I kept my cool and I said, they'll come back. And they came back every time. And then, um, you know, I spoke with, I spoke with my coach cause you get a coach and, and we talked about like what could help me, you know, the day of the event. And one of the things that we did was on the day of the event, they made me come or come in early and actually deliver my talk three times before I went on stage. So when I went on stage, it wouldn't be the first time I gave the talk that day. So, and the one time I had to give it, the, the, I was on stage and the tech crew was running all around me, like setting stuff up. So it was just really interesting. And, um, so I get on stage and I, I, di I did my talk and, and then it was over and, and everything. And it was the first time in my entire life I ever truly, truly, truly believed that I did it. I did my best. Like I had never even said those words before because I never believed I was doing my best. Like there was always something more I could do. But I knew in that, in that, in that particular thing, like, and maybe it was that whole staying present that was really important. Um, you know, that was really important to, to coming to that realization. But I really believe that there was nothing more that I could do. And so I'm in this, I have this new thing going on right now, like this new, this new situation where I feel as though I did my due diligence. I did the best I could. And that's really hard. Like that, I just, I've never been able to say that before. And maybe that's what that whole process was about. Was something needed to kick me in the ass and say, you know what? You are doing the best you can. Like there's no more you could do in the moment. Like you really are doing your best. I think that there's, I think in our humanness, I'm sitting here stuttering because you're making me think all of these huge, like big, world things in my head right now because I'm, I'm thinking about the dynamic between being present in the moment and yet manifestation and how we have to visualize and see and create things in our mind and therefore they get um, created in reality right and the because mm -hmm. those are kind of opposing thoughts and opposing things I know and um, so you describe it's this like, event go ahead it's like you got to think of it and then let it go at the same time yeah and I'm a huge proponent of you know living in the moment and being here present right now in the now, because I don't, I don't believe in time in the linear fashion that we think of it. And I, you know, for me, it's like, there's not a present or there's not a future. There's not a past. There's just a present. So it's really important to stay right here in the now. But I do the same thing where I visualize and I create 
tons of stuff, right? And I, I believe in that process. And so I'm sitting here thinking about, like you said, I, you said that that was possibly one of the reasons behind you doing the TEDx talk was it gave you that awareness that you are, that you did do your best, that this was the first time in your life that you could really say, okay, I'm happy and content with what I just put out. I can see, you know, that was, enough. I don't know about happy and content, <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it still was at least, you know, it was, it was, I couldn't do anything different, but there's a piece in that, right? You, I mean, yeah. you, you walk away with just a, a very calming sense of like, yes, it's done. It's over with. I'm at peace with what just took place. And I feel good about it, yes. even though. Yes. And yes, I think that, because I think there's... And I was happy about it, by the way. But. Well, it was a good talk. You did yeah. a wonderful job. Oh, thank you. Um, I think there's... I think we always try to minimize things in life as humans, right? I think we always try mm -hmm. to put it in a box and explain, I'm going to give you something and you're going to understand that thing on one level because that's how we can compartmentalize and understand the ginormous vastness of the universe. But because the universe is so vast, I think there's so many multiple explanations and reasons behind things. So maybe mindfulness is important in order to seek uh, joy and happiness and peace in life and to find contentment and be a, you know, a deeply spiritual person. You have to live in the now. However, we're really multidimensional beings and the universe is really vast and dynamic. So we have to also um, create things in our mind and we also have to visualize and we also have to manifest in that way, shape or form. But all of those things lead us to that place of happiness and joy and peace within ourselves. So it's not a matter of, you know, I now I have to move forward in life in a different way, shape or form, because, you know, if I'm just sitting around manifesting all the time and creating things in my head, then I'm not really living in the moment. No, and, you're not. and if I'm just living in the moment, then I'm in some sense of the word, not really living to my fullest potential because I'm not right? allowing my <laughs> imagination to go and create and to bring forth all this abundance and all this other kind of shit. I think exactly. we have to do all of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly right because, um, you know, like one of the things that I, I'm always questioning is what am I supposed to be doing? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? And I mean, like, should I be teaching more? Should I be making more art? Like, what exactly am I supposed to be doing? And I think that, you know, if you have the ability to speak to people, like if you have the ability to be a teacher – and you know enough people that can put you in those situations, shouldn't you be doing it? Now I'm not asking, like that might, I'm not like looking for approval, but it's, it's that, you know, sometimes you, you don't really know, you don't really know your place. And so you, you either attach yourself to something or you keep looking. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that's been really my, one of my biggest challenges is um knowing what i want and and trying to make that align with what i'm supposed to be doing you know if you believe that there's something bigger then that means there's some kind of plan or something and and i want to believe that i'm where i'm supposed to be at any given time but that yet i still have a choice in saying i want this or i don't want that and then bringing things about that feel good. You know, like when you grow up with that lack mentality, like when you grow up with there's never going to be enough, you don't, you don't believe that you have choice. You just, you just don't, you know, and, and I think that that's one of the, the biggest things that I've come, you know, that I've been trying to come to terms with 
is that, you know, you can be mindful and you can still have fun. Like you can be mindful and you can be present and you can still like, if I want to live with palm trees, I can live with palm trees, you know, and sunshine. Like I don't like you, you can make choice, you know, like if I, if I want to just be a writer, I can be a writer. If I want to just whatever, but you have to, you have to be okay with looking around you and saying, I, I want this or I want that. And it's just, it's risk and it's all, all kinds of things, like all these things. But, you know, like with self-awareness, it's just that, that bar gets raised and, and there's all this questioning that happens and, and there's this element of, do I have choice? Do I not have choice? And, um, I think part of it too big. is it is big. And I think part of the problem, um, that we get stuck in is, because of the way society is shaped and because of the way that we're raised and our parents were raised and all that kind of stuff, we have to find one thing in life. So you have to, you know, from a very early age, you know, you get identified as one specific thing and that's kind of what you always define yourself as, or as you grow up and you, you know, you go through high school, you go to college, maybe whatever the case may be, it's always the concept or idea. What are you going to be doing with your life or what are you going to right. be doing for your job or how are you going to make a living? I mean, it's one idea. Mm -hmm. Like you have to pick and decide this is the one thing that I'm going to do and it's going to define me because so much is um, based around that concept or idea. But if we let go of that idea, so you talk about, you know, you said a lot of times you're wondering, should I be writing more? Should I be teaching more, painting more? Should I be doing all of these things? I think that we have to separate that idea that we have to just be doing one thing. Like what's my life's right. purpose? My life's sure. purpose has to be one thing and hopefully I can get it to align with what brings me joy and happiness. Exactly. I think, I think the life purpose or the purpose of anyone's life is really just joy and happiness and whatever feeds that is what you should be doing. And, you know, I find joy and happiness in a dozen and two, do you know, a hundred different mm -hmm. things get me to that place of joy and happiness. It's not just, um, sitting here doing a podcast, right? I, I, I find joy and happiness in that. I like to meet new people and I get the opportunity to, you know, speak with cool people like you and learn about them. But I can do a bunch of different things that still get me to that place of just joy and happiness and peace. And I think of whole, you know, if there's, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be whole. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be whole. Like I want to pull in these parts of uncertainty you know, I want to smooth them, polish them. I just, I want to be whole. I want to, I want to be okay with wherever I am in the moment. Yeah. It's a good purpose in life. You know, I think if we could change everybody and do you have kids? No, I don't. Yeah. That's one of those things I struggle with. Cause I, in my earlier years as a parent, I've got teenagers now and one of them's going off to college soon and she's growing up and everything. And, um, <laughs> she's in that place where she's thinking about what she's going to be in life. What is she going to go to school for? What, you know, all these different things that she's trying to define who she is. And I'm like, don't limit yourself, you know, right. Play, you want to have I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And I screwed up had I been a different parent and, you know, I didn't screw up. We all do what we can <laughs> with what we know at the time, but had I done differently when she was younger, then maybe she'd be at the position now where she's, you know, getting ready to start her life as an adult and see things differently where she doesn't feel like she has to just pigeonhole herself in one profession right. or one job or one specific aspect. Cause she has, you know, the whole kaleidoscope of things that she can and does do. So it's hard. It's challenging, but 
I um, it's one of the reasons why I love to teach and and having a studio where I have a studio, we have a lot of opportunity to interact with different people. We have first Fridays and we also have um, lots of tours come through and we have opportunities to speak to local students, you know, whether it's high school or college. I love, love, love speaking with college students because they're in this really interesting place. You know, they're, they're kind of walking between worlds and I know what that's like, you know, they're, they're not, they're not children but they're not living in the full adult world yet. They're in this place where they're gathering knowledge and they're figuring things out. And whenever I, I speak to people who are looking to pursue art, this is just one, like one thing, one idea. But whenever I tell people that, you know, that, that are looking to pursue art, I tell them, you know, you have your whole life to perfect your craft of, of art. But if you really, if you want to make a living out of it, Think of the skills that you'll need to make that happen. Take some business classes. Take a writing class. Take a public speaking class. Like all those kinds of things. Like it's, it, you know, like you're going to be perfecting your skills forever. It's going to take you a lifetime to master. It's going to take you a lifetime to figure out your style and your direction and what, what your art is really about. It's going to take you forever. But you know, Pick up the skills that you need to survive. Pick up the skills that you need to be sustainable. Pick up the skills that you need to be able to communicate your ideas to people. Even if they're young, you know, like even if your ideas are, are young and, and not well formed yet. So, you know, I, I just think like, I don't know, like because I didn't go to college and I, I don't have children, but I, I just kind of see it from, from this side. I just think there are a lot of people just in general, not even in college, but just like people, they go through the motions and, and they just don't realize they have choice. They don't realize that they can, they can make things, that they can make choices that'll make things that much more sweet, you know? Yeah. Like by just making like little, little adjustments along the way. Yeah. We always think we have to make it way harder than it needs to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And I, and I kind of keep getting like, like I said, like that duality of, of being an artist, you know, like I want to do this because it helps me grow. And then on the other hand, I want to be a better artist. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's just like, just be here. You know, I've got Ram Dass's book in my studio, you know, be here now. I mean, like, it's, it's the thing. It's, it's the truth, you know, just be where you are. Um, my friend Jim Donovan, like, he, he said this beautiful thing, be where you are and move from there. And it's the truth. Like, it's, it's the truth. You know, just, just be wherever you are in that moment and then, and then see where it leads. But it's just, I'm always, you know, like, I'm always thinking about what I'm supposed to be doing. And I think that takes me, it takes me away from the present a lot. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, what's really interesting about having made all these mandalas is that I kind of feel like it's, it's, I don't know if this is true or not, but it feels like that in this moment that I kind of feel like that process has perhaps maybe run its course. I mean, I'm still making them, but they feel different. Like the whole process feels different. It's kind of like a, like I'm on the other side. Like I've gone, I've gone to the top. And now I'm coming and I'm, you know, going down the roller coaster and I'm waiting to pull up to the next thing again. It's so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that, uh, you know, I wanted to talk to you about mandalas and I'm sure we, we touched on it a little bit. We got into so much better stuff and it was so wonderful, Stephanie, getting to chat with you. I'm glad. 
I'm glad that um, that it's been useful. Um, there's so much there's so much that people can learn from them. You know, they I feel like, you know, what I came to learn um, in all my research and, and learning about the mandala is that they're they're kind of representational of a lot of different things in nature. Like the designs and the patterns come from nature and they even come from like, you know, like the cells in our body look, you know, they have this radial symmetry to them. And when you, when you kind of see that, like when you start to realize that they're everywhere, it's not just, you know, that the word means whole, the word means circle, sacred circle, you know, whatever translation you want to go with. It's Sanskrit, it's ancient word. But when, you know, when you realize that it's, it's not just mandalas it's all these other forms of sacred circular art all over the world every time i look at a culture i find another form of sacred circular art i don't think that's a coincidence you know every culture has some you know from like hex signs you know pennsylvania dutch hex signs to you know they you know down and there's a country in south america they they fly these giant uh, mandala shaped round kites to celebrate the day of the dead everywhere i look there's a sacred form of circular art and you look at it in nature and they're everywhere. And they're they're like they're, they're, they're the very cells in our body. How can that not point to something bigger than us? <laughs> like how can that not point to there being something bigger than us when you see this this thing connected in in so many different ways? And when all the coloring books started coming out, you know, because there's like a billion, you know, adult coloring books, like I thought to myself, like, that is so amazing. Like people who would never draw are are still using this form they're still using it as a way to relax and again you know going back to that like we need we need that in order to kind of clear the thoughts and and think more clearly about about things you know to to move to move forward but i encourage anyone who's interested in the mandala in in any way to just to to do a little digging in the way that makes sense for them um, I, I, I see it as a really big, powerful tool for personal growth for me is always about the creation. I never cared so much about what I had after I was done. And I literally just for like the fourth or fifth time, just destroyed a bunch of them. I, I ripped them up and usually I kind of just dispose of them. But this time I decided to, to hold on to some and see what I could make out of these pieces but I think that, you know, like with the Tibetan Buddhist monks who create the sand mandalas, like they do it as a way to raise consciousness and heal humanity. And once they've, they've done this painstakingly, this painstaking process of putting like, these individual grains of sand down and into these like complex geometric patterns, which kind of represent the universe and, and, and they, they smoosh the whole thing together and then dump the sand into a, a, a local body of water to, to show impermeance. And, you know, I've, I've been on this kick of, of letting go in big ways. I, I recently destroyed 20 years worth of my personal journals. I shredded them, but that wasn't enough. I p turned them into paper pulp and I made new paper out of them and then I made new art out of them. So it's just like this whole, you know, like you've got to like let this stuff go so you can move forward. You've got to let go of the purple Minnetonka leather <laughs> moccasins in the closet so you can so you can keep moving forward. Yeah. And um I you know like I'm I know now, you know, like I'm in this place of of you know something's coming, something's coming. But I I don't know what it is. I don't know what it looks like and it's scary because you know like you think about you know, like, what are you supposed to be doing to prepare 
And, and in reality, it's just, Hey man, just be here now, you know, (laughs) you know, just be where you are, be where you are, be okay with that. And, and as a good friend of mine says, more will be revealed. All true stuff. Thank you so much. What's the, uh, welcome. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you, find your stuff if they want to. Oh gosh, you know, I have a website with um with a silly name biffybeans.com and I'm I'm Biffy Beans like on a lot of different social networks, Twitter, Instagram, Stephanie Biffy Beans Smith. I've got Stephanie Smith Mandala art on Facebook. Um they can look up Stephanie Smith Mandala and that those three search words will will get people to me, but yeah, it's been a, a joy. Thank you for, for the deep conversation. That's that's the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> me too, man. I appreciate it. And everybody go sure. out and have a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful day. Enlightenment in human form does not mean that you're walking around blissful all the time. Art is basically a series of choices mixed in with muscle memory. You can be mindful and you can still have fun. You know, wholeness to me equals peace. I want to empower people to believe that whatever they have to bring to the table is enough with regards to their creativity.